Abend. Welcome to Commerce Talks live from the Seamless Show in uh, Riyadh. Now we are talking about my favorite uh, topic, which is like luxury uh, uh, um, components or luxury goods where, uh, where you're active in. Can you tell the audience a bit what you're doing and what Lazurde is doing actively? Thank you very much for having me. Um, Lazurde is a company with a 40-year-old history. So we were incorporated here in Saudi. We are um, f actually fourth largest uh, gold jewelry manufacturer in the world, which we then distribute through wholesale channels when we have 3,000 stores worldwide across almost 30 countries that sell our product. Um, and retail, which we do through um, our own retail stores, mainly in Saudi um, and Egypt, as well as the franchise brands uh, such as Tools that we operate for the moment in Saudi. Um, as since 2009, we've been owned by a Investcorp, which is an American um, uh, fund that specializes in luxury goods. And the, this all helped us to transform into a very um, uh, forward and retail thinking company rather than from a wholesale, right? So our relationship has ended, but now we continue the journey of becoming a leader, uh, not just across, let's say, uh, not just across um, Saudi and Egypt, but getting into retail concepts across MENA, as well as the world, right? So this is a nutshell what we do. And, and you said you're like a listed company. Can you share some numbers? So what kind of volumes are we talking here, employees? Yeah, yes. So we are uh, actually the only listed company, in, a jewelry listed company in MENA region. Um, so we do around um, uh, a billion real in turnover per year. And I would say close to around uh, just over a thousand employees. If you look at uh, the overall, it depends how you count it. Yeah, so that's our, um, our scope. And I know it's hard to describe like the market size because it's very hard like, to say, okay, when, when do we leave like the luxury uh, jewelry market? But like from a volume perspective on a global level, what, what kind of volume are we talking about? Like for, for luxury jewelry items, like above 100, 500 uh, euros. Is, is there like a market number for that? Um, honestly, I don't want to give you a number uh, from my head, but it, it, number has to be in hundreds of billions because if you look at um, the value of go of um, jewelry today, right, um, it's has been transformed from a very strictly occasional product into a an accessory stack, right, as well as um, an investment product as well, right. So today. Uh, jewelry market has, ex has ex experienced a growth whilst normal retail has been going through a lot of challenges, right? So today, if we look at um, the retail and luxury retail in general is the only one has been generally um, surviving in, uh, since COVID, whereas the, whereas the values has been hit massively, right? If you look at some companies that returned to growth since 2000, before 2020, um, especially like uh, the likes of LVMH and current groups, right? Um, with Tiffany for LVMH doing one of the best numbers that we see. Um, with Richmond, with Cartier. So um, actually where people, the luxury market and jewelry in particular has been growing despite all the challenges that we've seen in the world. And because you were naming like yeah. Rismore and, um, and, uh, and, and Tiffany, are you in some areas competing with, uh, with those companies? Do you, do, you, do you go for the same, uh, for the same uh, money they are going for or like for the same part of the uh, income they are going for? So 
the the thing is today is that what the luxury brands was able to do very correctly they were able to create the scarcity for their products apart from the marketing um hype that brought the average customer outside their um, usual um say salary brackets to demand for their product right so today um it's, there is no more, um, it's very hard to segment your customer, especially for luxury brands, because the average income customer is aspiring to buy luxury items. People are trying, people today are going more for value and brand rather than, and quality rather than just price and quantity, right? We, we're going back a little bit from the, from the 2000 and 2000, early 2010s, where customer happy to see H&M and Zara, they're like, okay, I'll buy more a lower quality, but I need that quantity. Today, they want to be able to show their status via brand that they're wearing. Same, same applies to jewelry. So we are, and then jewelry, especially if you go into certain products, you are almost selling similar items, you know? It's, you have a, a engagement ring, right? So engagement ring, I could argue, could look very similar, whether it comes from Lazurdi, Cartier, or another company, right? You could be potentially arguing that you're selling the same product. So yes, I would say that in some areas we are competing for the same customer and including our competitors right down the line could argue that they're giving you the same product for a different value or perhaps for different customer experience, right? So the trick here for all of us is to understand how we can take either do we go for each other customers or we keep going up in value because there are customers that sell the same product even more expensive than Cartier, right? And they're able to hold their customer base because they offer them a value based or the intrinsic value based on their uh, brand perception and, and the brand status. But you see, if I understand your business, right? So you're like um, involved in many roles in, yeah. the, in the retail chain. So yeah. you're producing like for other brands, yeah. uh, Jury, yeah. producing your own brands and a your own product under your own brand. Yes. They were selling jewelry from your own brand in third-party retail yeah. locations yeah. as a wholesale yeah. business. Yeah. And you're selling that in your own retail uh, location. There is some obviously catalog differentiation because uh, you, um, the wholesale business, again, you need to, again, differentiate in between different regions of the world. So you could be seeing a completely different product in America that we don't sell here in Saudi. Um, in the southern part of Saudi, which is, has more taste for 21 karat gold, for example, they, uh, they, will be, they will be seeing a Lazurdi product of 21 karat there in, uh, in these regions, but it will not be in stores. So there is catalog differentiation. It will have Lazurdi brand, but there will be different product being sold in different channels. But interestingly, in this jewelry market, and I think yeah. that is something where, where we are rich more of us, like super successful, like yeah. with Cartier and yeah. others. It's like, um, it's obviously you have to create a brand and a product that is kind of decoupled from the from the from the uh, from the ingredient price, from the material yeah. price, because yeah. you might you might uh, even a very very expensive bracelet for like five thousand euro, the pure price of the gold is only like one thousand yeah. euros, for example. And then you have to explain it with. Um, with scarcity, yeah. uh, with brand, maybe with um, the high quality labor that went into the product. So how do you do it? Because there must be, as you said, obviously many brands are trying to upsell now yeah. to get into a more higher 
categories. Uh, uh, maybe it's I don't know I don't know maybe you can go a bit into like the the the, the making process like from the factories. Is it something which is hard to do, easy to do, hard to do at scale? Uh, maybe to do high quality, but. You are the brand director, so how do you create something that has so much demand that people are willing to pay a price that is way higher than what went into the product? So very good point. And to start from from the other side as well, you need to keep in mind that with Cartier as well, how much um, success they had with some of their iconic products. But you will also be surprised how many people with the um, disposable income to buy that product do replicate that product with the local um, jewelers or the um, uh, workshops, right? So that's very interesting as well, right? So, so you're saying instead of buying like Cartier, Cartier the Cartier bracelet for yeah. 20k, they're going to a local jeweler yeah. and say, okay, I'd like to have this kind of bracelet, yeah. but I don't want to have it from Cartier. Can you do it for me like for 10k? Yes, yes. So because you that's mentioned happening. this is happening a lot. It's happening way more than you think. And it's happening with not just with the people who can't afford the Cartier one, Okay, but they just don't want to spend the money, right? So you, you mentioned something very important and just talked, uh, spoke about it earlier as well. Um, you first of all need to understand what business you're in, right? Are you in the value game? Um, are you in the price game? Or are you in the brand game? So three different things, right? So to me, if you were a workshop, uh, you can be in the price game because you can do things very on demand, because you don't have to have the big overheads and you can give the customer the best price for potentially the same product, right? In our stores today, right, as over a period of time, we kept, we went through the time where we kept dropping our average price. So as our average price kept dropping and dropping and dropping, our sales have been increasing, 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 and also our margins have been increasing, right, as well. However, so what we're able to give the customer today in our stores is the variety. You go into the stores, you can see colored stones, you can see your entry price jewelry, you can see your fashion products, you can see your animal products, you can do your wedding products, you can see vast variety of choice at relatively controlled price zones, right? Yes, we have higher ticket items, but we, are, we tend to be segmenting ourselves in a very middle, middle positioning, right? But we give the customer variety. But it's, yes. but it's still real jewelry. It's not fashion jewelry. I could buy yeah, Zara, but it's... Uh, okay, Zara, maybe not a company. What we call fashion jewelry is your entry price gold accessories. Obviously, okay. it's not Zara, uh, but it is seen as accessory rather than a jewelry, even though it's made from precious metals. Uh, okay. In, but in the case of... Um, but I'm able to offer a customer... Uh, a returning customer an option, right? So we also study our products and we understand that, okay, we have a collection, we have the demand, we need to expand. A simple example, you know, we did the necklace, let's introduce the earrings. We did the earrings, let's introduce the bracelet, right? So you expand and you build on the information that you get from the purchases made. In the case of Cartier um, um, and other uh, luxury, uber luxury houses, they're selling, they're selling a brand. And in a lot of ways it works, right? But um, as I said, the problem is that today brand is a trend and quality over quantity is a trend. Tomorrow we go back to volume, people wanting more stuff at cheaper prices. That's where these brands will struggle. And trust me, they, they do. The same comes with luxury watches, 
The same uh, happens with the, even antiques. You know, they go through these periods of times where the people are coming and um, uh, basically the market keeps fluctuating. But watches you don't do? No. Yeah. Okay, I, I got I got it like from a material uh, I got it from a material perspective, but um, just to understand like your retail value proposition. So I can go to your store and pick like a colored stone, like an opal from yeah. an Australian yeah. mine, and then like and they say I'd like to please build me this ring with that with with it, or please build me the bracelet with it. Is it this kind of jeweler? Um, look, it's possible. Um, we we do. Uh, provide this kind of services, but we do a more focus on the ready-made products. When I say color stones, it means it's already ready, necklace, pendant, oh, race. It's already built in a ring. Yes, okay. but, but then, sure, we have customers that come and say, okay, I want this, I like these earrings, but I want to shorten them. Because we're so lucky to have our factories here, we're able to do pretty much whatever customer likes. But if you want to make a scalable business, you need to work on the ready-made products, right? And here is how we work to ensure that the assortment is right for that store, for that area, and so forth. And to go, sorry, I didn't fully expand on the project, but um, as we also go back from the concept of when material is weighted and the price is given based on the material and potential workforce, you then you then introduce the concept of a brand. Yes, yeah? so we have uh, a good example. We have an entry prices jewelry uh, brand called Miss, Miss L, which is affordable jewelry between uh, 150 to maximum like 800 euros and there it's majority pure it's pure gold items but done in a fashionable manner right so here you don't have diamond or precious stones to explain to warrant a higher price point so you need to explain to the customer why are they paying a higher price for a material which is genuine material. so then you could you definitely it talks about educating your team educating your customer through social media that the techniques that are being used the skill set required you have influences that they're using your brand in order to build that brand and obviously uh, gain, you, gain you a bigger audience. So you do it through marketing and through mm -hmm. education. Yeah. Right? The store person needs to explain to you what kind of technique is been given into this process, potential working hours required, and then obviously sell you that product. Okay, I got it. I understand like the process and the value proposition. So I, I guess like Riyadh or the, the region here is like known for its gold markets. Like it's, I, I guess for jewelry maker, it's like the toughest market you can, you can be in. So, and, uh, and some other, um, uh, some other uh, um, uh, person I was speaking with at our booth uh, was inviting me to go to like a gold market. And for me, it's like overwhelming. You're seeing like, I don't know, 50 traders. Everybody has like lots of, lots of gold. Um, which for me, there's no, it's very, very hard to, it's, it's, it's obviously a selection dilemma. It's very hard to figure out, okay, what's good, what's valuable, is it fair priced? Obviously, I don't look like a, uh, uh, like a, like, like a local and I try to get like a good price for them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess, I guess you've been to many gold markets uh, uh, here, here, so um, how do you differentiate in this kind of environment? Absolutely, we are very applicable to us because we have a gold, what we call gold souk, gold market concept. So we are now opening stores of Lazurdi in gold markets as well, uh -huh. uh, which are even worked, they're working on weights mainly, right? And very different product and very different, um, uh, you work on volume, right? So this is, this is one thing. But if you go back to Mall and High Street, your product line is different. It's mainly to do with design or 
precious stones, could be emerald, ruby, could be diamond, mainly diamond, right? And there you work on, obviously you here you work, there you work on collections, you work on your uh, explanation of your technique, you work on your uh, precious stones that are involved, and obviously you talk about service. It's about experience that you get when you come, how you get treated. Don't forget, and we give you lifetime warranty. Uh, it's a relationship almost like a family. You know, we have people coming through generations in desert especially, right? In Gold Souk, it's different. It's about volume. It's mainly to do with tourists. You're talking about um, um, or a very conservative type of customer that deals more with the 21 karat gold, which is predominantly pure measured by weight. I like this necklace. It's three grams gold. How much the price you get, right? Uh -huh. so, so that's how it is. It's a very... Um, very volume driven business because if you don't do the volume you will not survive very thin margins but higher volumes but still you would not recommend me going there because uh, then the margins are not so thin anymore uh, i if you're a customer i do recommend but it's a very specific type of product um uh, you need to understand that it's um very different from what you see in the europe for example right so it's very pure gold items you know so there is no you very rarely find good diamond products or good color stone products. It's it's very pure gold oriented, but you can try, and you definitely can try to haggle with them because you know the price of gold today, and you try to get yourself a better rate. And then when they know that you know the rate, they will yeah. probably give you a better discount. Oh, I, I definitely have to work to, to see one of those gold markets because that's actually where it all started. But now we are moving into like more sophisticated like uh, retail. Yeah. Uh, retail concepts like uh, stores where you have to be compared with like Cartier uh, yeah. uh, bracelet and so and so on and so on. Uh, and now there's like one step further. That's why we're sitting together. It's like obviously there's like now um, online demand been built for those products. So sure. my and I have not looked up any numbers yet. Uh, but if my 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 understanding of the market is like it's still 99% like offline because it's such a trust involved in the in in the in the purchasing of the, of the product, especially. Um, the experience you've described, it's hard to sell online. On the other hand, I, I would expect, okay, there might be some gold influencers, maybe even rappers that do have like heavy jewelry where people would ask, okay, where can I buy it? Uh, which is like the perfect opportunity to set up like a gold market you've described, yeah. which is like more volume based. So can you give us a bit more uh, insight into the e-commerce? Yes. So I'm, so let me tell you like this, the B2C market here in Saudi, across retail, is around 5% gain. If your business generates 5% of your revenue for big, big retailers, right, um, you're good, you're doing well, right? So if you, even if you look at within the big franchise operators, let's say the market here divided between five to six big companies that manage most of the franchises, within themselves, the big brands do between five, two to 5%, and you are in a good situation, yeah? Two to five percent of B2C? their total turnover uh, of their B two C turnover. Two to five percent of their B two C turnover is e commerce. Uh, yes, correct. So when I came to um, so the Lazurdi, everyone was under the same impression that you know, e commerce started with with COVID. Everyone thought this is just to to pass some time with COVID, and basically, um, when the COVID dies, there will be no need. So there'll be very little budgets because here's basic budgets and honestly i think our ecom team with our cdo did an absolute miracle that now today with even with the infrastructure that in place today um it's doing almost 20 percent of our turnover 
right? So the e-com business is doing absolutely insane numbers and it's even limiting the-, the 20% of the B2C turnover. Yes, but which is still, it's just big, still a big number, right? If you look at, um, I cannot tell you today from businesses that exist in high street uh, that does the same percentage through online. And we don't have, we don't operate on Hyperis, we don't operate on Salesforce, we operate on a basic system today, um, which uh, blessed, but you know, giving us limitations. Have we been on a proper platform by now? You're talking about expectations through the roof. And this is what our e-com team is doing at the moment, doing fantastic work. We're going through um, migration soon and I'm you know, super excited uh, with them because what we, what we, what we didn't anticipate, right, also, is that the impact that it does for our offline stores as well. I'll give you an example. So when I came, uh, they were telling me about, oh, you know, the e-com e price strategy was different. So they're like, oh, people are coming and comparing the strategy. And I told my store team, I don't believe you. This is not true. How many people see, how many people come and visit our store today and how many people come to stores? Guys, don't give me excuses. So I spent probably a good month in a store and I was absolutely astonished. Everyone is coming with their phone and say, I want this, I want this, I want this. This, this was- Showing your image yes, uh, yes. from, from Lazur online. Yes, so I was just, I was super impressed and I then realized, okay guys, I'm wrong. Like, you know, this big learning curve for me. And what I was speaking about earlier as well is the social commerce today for us is where the, where the funnel starts, right? People are starting with our Instagram page or our uh, mm. other pages that we have or through our website, then come to store and perhaps then go back to online and then completing the transaction the way that they feel comfortable with. But there is way more, they're way more comfortable completing it online than we ever thought because this is jewelry in the end, right? And our return rates, this is way less than anyone in the business. I come from the uh, garment retailers where in Saudi, your return in store is around 40% especially for dresses. It's because, you know, uh, traditionally the, the changing room wasn't used for it and it wasn't allowed to be used and it was always comfortable to use it, but the return rate was around 40. The return in e-com wasn't different. And to be fair, in Europe, again, the, the figure is around 30%. Yeah. Our e-com, our return rate is way below 5%. And this take into account that I try, try, try people to return you uh, fake products? Where no, they... no, no. I, I thought about it. That didn't happen. But we have systems to catch that in place. And obviously, there is, um, uh, everything goes through QC. Do you know? But I was, I'm still so surprised because I thought, you know, I, quality is up for perception, especially when it comes to diamond, right? So you never will never understand exactly how the stone will look if, you, if you're not into the business, right? So if I tell you it's a SI, VS, or whatever, you as a customer might buy a diamond and think, you know, you know what, it's not really that shiny, I want to return it. It's not happening. People are keeping the products, right? So today, social ecosystem is so important for us because our communication is done via social media, it's done via website, and then all our channels depend mainly through, uh, through our communication through social media. Uh, you know, people are asking about policies. You know, even though there's policies clearly based on the website, they keep asking this through Instagram channel, right? They keep asking about the quality of the product, even though it's mentioned through the link, you know? They, they, they want to, um, and then, I am sure also that, that the way that we merchandise the product online 
gives them inspiration on how to use it. Because you mentioned quite well, it has very rich gold history, doesn't have a very rich jewelry history, right? So people still knew with the colored stones, with the diamonds, new to the fashion jewelry as well. So they get inspiration from that as well. So it's so important to maintain the social aspect, the social commerce with e-commerce as well. And they both need to transition and complete each other really well. But but do you, do you think this kind of e-commerce journey in the in the jewelry business could be um, uh, could could be brought to a level where you say okay let's enter a market where you're not so active I don't know let's say Denmark yeah yeah with with a brand that is not known there yeah. uh, yet let's like, let's say Lazord Black yeah yeah uh, uh, what you said it could it, it could work out if you have, if you have a, a nice landing page around it and uh, trying to build some uh, influencer campaigns uh, around that people would buy. I mean, just, I mean, just try, try, I'm trying to figure out where this kind of demand comes from because yeah. people obviously they're coming with a phone in your store showing you the product. There, there must there must have been some intent to go to sure. the store. So how, yeah. how do you how how do you release it? Well, obviously we're quite we're quite lucky because uh, you know for for just because being um, such a well known company in Saudi Arabia, right? Obviously we've been here in the market for 40 years. We're the market leader by both brand perception as well as the brand recognition when it comes to jewelry. So obviously people think about us and think we thank you them very much when, it, when they think about jewelry. To go into a new market is always going to be challenging, right? And to build the um, campaigns from scratch, um, it is going to be quite interesting. We are quite lucky as well in Saudi and Egypt is because here you mentioned rappers, but in, in Middle East, your best client, uh, best influencers to inf to promote your product are the actresses, and the actresses are mainly Egyptian. We're very lucky that we can have one brand ambassador that serves the both markets, right? The actresses even here are mainly from Egypt. Uh, not normally here, sorry. They are most known because the most opera, like opera, soap operas, and the t movies traditionally came from Egypt since the talking about since uh, traditionally, you know, the 50s, the 60s. I, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes, so Egypt has, Egypt always had a very high, uh, very uh, big cinematic culture. They have one of the biggest festivals in the regions as well. And until today, you know, probably the most best known actresses in the region are the Egyptian, Egyptians. So we're, we're quite lucky with that because obviously we're very well known in Egypt as well. And we can use one ambassadors to cover both. If you go into the Europe market, obviously you need to understand that you know, the whole communication is different. You're talking about sustainability. You're talking about um, where the product came, right? You're talking about um, um, you're talking about uh, the whole sensitivity of um, the, the, the. You're more price sensitive as well. However, um, all we have diamond suppliers today that already working on creating um, blockchain certificates for the diamonds. So you can track the diamond life from the beginning. And I'm pretty sure that it will really help. It will help boost our business, for example, in the U.S., right? And I'm sure in the, in the future, um, if we enter Europe as well. But it, it, you really need to study one by one because you have local laws and regulations when it comes to gold and who we can produce and how much you yeah. can sell. Um, some countries may not even allow a foreign company dealing in gold. But in, in reality, you need, to, you need to first research. And social commerce today or social media today allows you to do this background research. You know, there are companies, artisanal companies around the world that are small, small traders in jewelry that do very well because they're able to build that story online, right? And then 
completed and give you give you the whole customer experience even online right there's i know there's a guy in tanzania i i think he's south african or british i don't remember but so basically he started his own business right so he built this brand out of instagram and then completed it with the e-commerce solution he has in place and he gives you this whole luxury service digitally right and it's being done even in Saudi by local brands. It's even being done by uh, all over the world. And they're able to compete because they build the story. They build you the, the designs. They showcase them. They see the demand. They see the clicks. They see the likes. And then they start producing them sometimes even on ad hoc basis, on dropship basis. Well, they, they build the collection based on that. We, on the other hand, have to produce in advance. So we're always going to take risk. And we don't have this kind of flexibility that they have. But... Um, at the same time, we're more blessed with having um, the infrastructure in place that perhaps a sole, sole trader will not, right? So at the end of the day, a customer expects in jewelry a full service and full after service as well. What we have in front of these guys is that we can take any product that we don't even, um, that, you know, that has been through all, the, through all his life, we can come take it and repair it, right? We, have, we get full, full guarantee for the product with, that we give, whereas the small companies, you know, could face could face an issue with that, and might even you know a return process can can kill them. You know, we have that infrastructure in place. Kind of, you, you just mentioned that there's like uh, different like regulatory or like legal legal um, uh, legal stuff around like uh, buying and selling gold. And um, now with like the inflation uh, yeah. peak, we were seeing all over the, all over the world. I would expect there would have been some business impact because uh, obviously you would have to like adapt prices because many people changed like the asset away from stocks into gold you say there's a couple of like uh, uh jewelry that is like more on the um on the value side yeah so it's not about like how nice it looks yeah. how 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 um how heavy it is yeah yeah so, so how did it how this uh how did it work out for you so i think part of the growth that we've seen in 21 and 20 20 and 20 21 and this year as well is is attributed to people um, understanding that they, if they are to gift or they are to buy, they would better buy something that holds value, right? I can tell you that uh, definitely around the world, uh, you know, you got some uh, big retailers in China as well. They're seeing the same trend as well. So people are going away from making risky investments into luxury that they know they depreciate into buying things that like, like, like I don't know, an, an expensive watch. So Onyx obviously did a good job, like in uh, retaining the price, but you're not buying like a Cartier watch that might lose like 50% yes. next year. Correct, correct. So you're not even, um, I don't want to use some of our competitors, but um, the companies that don't deal with precious materials, so they obviously would have been more affected as well. We today, even as I'm saying that we have today a enterprise brands called Misel, fashion jewelry that is gold material, right? And I am on price competing with well-known brands that sell crystal or sell brass or sell copper, whatever jewelry made, right? So my job today, and I need, and I, this is, I would say that I need to be better at it, at communicating this to the customer is that you can go and buy it something that will be worthless in two days time, or you can come and buy it from me and have to hedge yourself and hedge your money and then potentially even could be even worth more money than you paid for it in the future. Um, so we, for us, it's been a positive impact, I would say.
It could be an interesting campaign. They'll get uh, get rid out of the risky stock market into the stable super uh, jewelry market and even make your wife happy. Stuff, this, stuff like this is what I proposed, but I will be told to be careful in order to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. interesting. So and, not, and not defame anyone. Where, where's where's the growth coming coming from? Obviously, uh, you, you said you're now you're now in a, in a private equity environment, and private equity is expecting uh, expecting growth. We were so just uh, so we were in the private oh, okay. part, but obviously they, they have, uh, as we went public, they, as they do, they leave. So, but we're still in that mode, I believe, that we're very profit-driven, we're very results-driven, so we're very uh, forward-thinking in that point of view. But so you're looking like into a growth, into a growth path, so yes, where do you think your growth will come from? Is it like expanding into new countries, into new product categories, uh, pushing your e-commerce strategy? What, what's your most important growth initiative? So, so many things, right? So first of all is updating and upgrading your product uh, offering. So Saudi has went through the major shift of, um, of reju rejuvenation of the, okay, so the customer became way, way younger and the customer tastes have changed, right? So, and they're, they're buying more frequently, but they're paying less prices, right? So you obviously need to upgrade that what offering you have in the store. The customer also, as we learned at that time, the customer is looking for value. However, it doesn't mean a lower price. So we will not be able to fool the customer with the lower quality for lower prices. It's not going to work, right? And some of our competitors are still in that mindset. And I think sooner or later, it will be a big challenge. Because I've seen today when I have exactly the same, same like-for-like -like designs, I upgrade quality, I sell more, right? And I did this test with one that's going to more and more and more, and now we're upgrading, right? Introducing new. There is demand for innovation. You're talking about use of animal. Um, you're talking about use of special materials like lab grow diamonds, you know, which we thought, oh, no, no one cares about this. What is it? Lab grow diamonds. So diamonds. Which, grown, grown yeah, diamonds. so oh, even this, yeah. we, so we, we did test trials in the country, um, and now, We've seen a very, very surprising, positive uh, response from the customer. We made launching uh, full-fledged collections. So some of our competitors are entering into that field as well. But it's good. It's shown that the customer overall is very open to it. You know, customer is very young. Um, you also see that um, obviously expansion into retail, more and more into retail, our own retail operations. So we went from having three stores to now having, we'll have six stores by the end of this year. And next year we're planning to almost double our network. We are opening, um, more expanding our brand called, as mentioned, Mesene, which is um, enterprise jewelry, which is your jewelry accessories, but they're gold. So we are expanding that sector that allow us to compete with the major European high street retailers that are not gold, right? So we are giving customers better value. And potentially you're talking about, um, not potentially, and obviously expanding our e-com business. An e-com business that has not just the same product, it has more, and it even goes into extra materials that we will not sell into our high street stores. By high street, I mean high street and malls. For example, brass plated jewelry, you're talking about silver as well. And we use the e-com as well as a sandbox for potential expansion of the new categories as well. It's a very good um, uh, Livmos tape because it tells you exactly um, how maybe the customer, you have the right product, you don't have the right price. You have the right price, but you don't have the right product. So e-com, that gives you so much uh, data that you might not necessarily collect it easily in the store. 
Okay, and then one other aspect of e-commerce we haven't touched so far is like, I understand that the B2B, B2C uh, as in fact is getting more and more important yeah. for you. But I, as you said, you're like in the wholesale business, there's lots yeah. of retailer reordering uh, um, yeah. stuff from you. You see that um, jewelry B2B, uh, jewelry um, retailers are more keen to order in a B2B way online. They're going back to your B2B shop and yeah. say, okay, that's like the 2020 Swoop collection. If you want to have those pieces, which are limited, you have to order now, which is a uh, way easier to uh, to do than the uh, than selling the way most likely you're selling right now, where people need to go with like the products, yeah. like really like uh, the real products to the retailers, showing them, and there's like somebody from the procurement side saying, yeah, I don't believe in this, I don't believe in that, I'd rather take this because if you like turning this around and say, okay, there's so much demand on this kind of item here. Order now, otherwise you are not getting any uh, any production next year. So let me talk to you about generally, especially about experience in Saudi when it comes to, when it comes to B two B. The majority of the big there's big big players here that are predominantly B two B. Whether it's uh, wallpaper, whether it's electricity, Alfanar is one of the biggest companies that we have here that does electrical components. They have factories all over the world, including Spain, Italy, and so forth. Right. You have companies that do with perfume. It's a multi-billion um, real companies. Um, and obviously you have garment manufacturers and you, you can go us as well, right? We all definitely could benefit from B2B. I think B2B has been very slow in adaptation of digitalization. And I think that overall, that's where the biggest growth will go. They didn't feel, I think that they didn't feel the need for it because of um, maybe... Uh, the the relationships that you had with the sole traders and the vendors, maybe you could talk about that the workforce was not subject for the same rules of Saudization as in the high street stores. So they were very comfortable living in the old environment. But I think soon it will change. Also, I can tell you today, even from my side and B2B clients that I manage, personally, which is small, but overall as a company, you, you will definitely benefit because there is infrastructure in place that's been set up by the central bank that allows you to have paperless transactions and paperless relationship as long as you have a semi-initial ERP system with a good uh, finance module because you're able to onboard the customers. You can be able to do most of your verification checks online through the services the central bank provides. Go and visit them if you want and sign a contract, but it can be also done online. Yeah. But this is focused on Saudi. Yes, I'm talking about Saudi, right? I'm sure Europe and even Dubai is already way more advanced than we are now, but it can be done, right? So infrastructure is in place already. So then the payment side is already covered as well. Um, and then you build your, uh, think about, you have uh, companies that have the trade five, six SKUs maximum, right? You do need to come out and see them every day and take an order from them. You have the Horeca businesses, right, that get visited by five different distributors every day and they take orders manually, right? There is no need for this, right? They're really, um, you, you will be serving your vendors and you're serving yourself better by going into B2B digital system. And don't forget, Saudi, what's good about Saudi, we are no, we're not a fine print business. You know, the Saudi legislation when it comes to commerce is always on the side of the little guy. If you think you're going to put some fine print and put somebody in a bad position, it never happened. I am today confident, so I am today always tell my team and the new people that come, especially in my size, you have to do everything 100% right, because if we do something wrong, 
no even there is there is no need for for the customer to go to the Ministry of Commerce and complain. Because if they go, the Ministry of Commerce will take the side. So we need to make sure that we do everything is right in our place. So if you if you people say, okay, what if somebody receives them? I had a product item, you know, I deal with a client that takes an order a thousand pieces a month. They received one item and they damaged it, it came damaged, it doesn't matter, right? They get a they they get a call and it get it gets replaced the next day, right? So the same thing with the online business. Don't worry about that. Oh, what if this this goes wrong? You if you are a rightly managed business, you put your catalog online, you go live, you make sure there's right checks and balances in place to protect you and protect the vendor. But it has to be done digitally, right? Because today. Uh, it's such a labor-intensive business that you can save so much by going digitally. And it's not just applies to us, especially applies to the majority of the markets here. And I'm sure this is where the big digitalization will come recently. It's soon enough, is B2B. Okay, the, the only thing that's missing now for me today is like uh, visit one of the uh, gold markets, but I've yeah. learned a lot yeah. um, already, and I'm really happy and to hear yeah. that there's so much uh, B2C e-commerce adoption yeah. uh, in this marketing market happening yeah. already. You know, another thing I forgot to mention for us is live streaming. You know, I remember two years ago I, went, uh, I was in a conference and they were talking about China taking 300 e-commerce, sorry, live streaming, e-commerce being 300 billion dollar market and i thought at this number i thought i think the whole garment retail market of saudi is 260 million billion right so i thought at this number and i thought wow today we're already launching live streaming application that we already trialed and we're launching it to stores and it's really interesting how i was starting obviously with our vip and regular customers but it can be rolled out to anyone and it's interesting how keen they're to use it. They're really customer, you know, adoption rate here is very high, whether it comes to digital payment, whether it comes to social media. And I'm surprised how quickly people are coming up. And I think the live streaming will be another thing that will be, be seeing more and more with the B2C, because as people become more busy, and obviously more and more women entering the workforce and time becoming more of an essence, I think live streaming as well is gonna be a big, big trend that's coming now right now. And it's between both, because don't forget, when I, if I do live streaming session in the store, the transaction is done from online. I give you a link to pay, the order comes through online. So again, it's one of the main focuses that we do about linking online and store together. Very cool. Thank you a lot, Adam.